Children may be dismissed to junior church. I see three children. I see four children. So Miss Karen's back there waiting on you. And the rest of us, if you would like, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, because we are going to continue talking about Jesus' birth and the incarnation, which we've been talking about, of course, with Christmas time. And if you recall, I was in a sermon series, Jesus, the indescribable gift, and Jesus, God's indescribable gift, Jesus, God's indescribable Christmas gift. And we're going to wrap that up today on Christmas Eve. We talked about Jesus, the indescribable gift, God in the manger, you know, Jesus uh, was God in the flesh in the manger. And today we're going to wrap that up with Jesus, the gift of God's hope, Jesus, the gift of God's hope. You know, they were always waiting for a Savior in the Old Testament. And are you waiting for a Savior? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you know that you need a Savior? Originally, I had planned to show this video clip from the Nativity story about the angel coming to Jesus. But sometimes when we show certain clips, um, from what I've heard from other churches, the Facebook police kills the live in the live stream because they don't know if we have permission. But I am going to show a clip and uh, about Jesus as Emmanuel, and I think it'll go okay because it came from a sermon type of thing. So, Ken, if you're okay to show this, go ahead and hit go live on that video clip, and then we'll continue the sermon after it. Here we go. We'll need the PC on.
Thanks, Elaine. And if someone near the back maybe can turn those lights up. I was checking the live stream on my phone and it didn't kill us, so we're good, we're still live. Thanks, Lisa, I appreciate that. So they were waiting for a savior and Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. Let's read that from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Uh, Marty Kavaluski read that on Christmas Eve and we're gonna read it right now. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So my theme today is Jesus, the gift of God's hope. And right there in that passage, which I just read, we see the promise that Jesus will be born. Jesus is a Hebrew, Yeshua, like, like Joshua, actually, of the Old Testament, and it means the Lord saves. Some people ask, why, does his name, why is his name Jesus and then also Emmanuel? And you can get that answer by listening to me right now or by listening to Dr. Michael Radelnik on Moody Radio on Saturdays uh, from 10 to noon. He answers that a lot, and he says there were throne names. In the Old Testament, we see that with Solomon. He had multiple names, and it was a throne title, a throne name. And Jesus had this throne name. You know, he's king of kings and lord of lords. It's a throne name, and it's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves. They were waiting for a savior. All throughout the Old Testament, they were waiting for a savior. And now the savior has come. Now, first, obviously, Joseph is not too excited about this because he doesn't really know what's going on. You know, Joseph is engaged to be married to Mary. And if I recall, a Jewish engagement had three parts. One was the, um, the arranged marriage, so to speak, which happened when they were very young, an arranged marriage. And then eventually they had the actual engagement ceremony. And it was an actual ceremony of engagement. And then after the, uh, the engagement ceremony, the husband, the groom, would go to prepare a place for his bride, for his spouse. Oftentimes he would add on to his father's house. He would go to prepare a place, and then he would come again. And then they would have the marriage ceremony. That's, where, that's why Jesus in John chapter 14 said, I go to prepare a place for you. Because we're the bride of Christ and he's the groom. So Joseph and Mary, they're engaged, they're betrothed. It was a very formal engagement. And that means once they're engaged, it's very, 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 very formal. And then he goes to get a home ready for Mary. They're engaged. But while they are engaged, he finds out that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> With air quotes. Because what's he to think? 
You know, he, he obviously had a little bit of doubt in his mind. And, and maybe, you know, we could speculate, and it's pure speculation. Maybe he knew Mary as a very righteous woman, and maybe he knew her family as a very righteous family. So maybe, maybe the whole time he did not believe that, that she was adulterous, but it looked like adultery. Some people speculate and think that Joseph could have had her stoned. That was the Jewish penalty for adultery. And even though they're not formally married at this point, the, married, the engagement ceremony was so formal that there were punishments for breaking that ceremony, breaking that bond. It was considered actual adultery. And that's when the Old Testament law was a stoning. They couldn't, he could not really have her stoned in a, in a, in a Greco-Roman system because they were still under Rome's authority. But from the Mishnah, which was the, um, a writing, and it was written in around the second century, and it was a writing of all the Jewish teachings and Jewish practices of the day. They could have humiliated Mary as being adulterous. That means that he would bring her before the people, and it says something about stripping her, stripping, uh, just pulling her, her, her blouse down, her you know, robe down, and humiliating her in public and declaring her adulterous. And it was very humiliating for the woman. And Joseph, it says right here, Joseph was a righteous man. So he did not want to humiliate her in public. He wanted to divorce her quietly. And notice it uses the word divorce because that's what it took. It took a formal, a formal type of a thing, a formal divorce, in order to break off the engagement. Obviously, that's when the angel comes to Joseph. The angel speaks to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, because he's a descendant of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now Joseph is told, and Joseph now realizes this is true. What Mary has told him is true. His, his stepson, so to speak, is to be the Messiah, the anointed one. The child she bears truly is from the Holy Spirit. The, the, the child she bears, the child in Mary's womb, truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. This is powerful. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew's gospel oftentimes would talk about things being fulfilled. Because Matthew's gospel, written to a primarily Jewish audience, was to show that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies from the Old Testament about the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Of course, after the angel speaks to Joseph, he goes from gloom to hope. You know, remember, Jesus is the gift of God's hope. And so Joseph goes from gloom to hope. I read this a while back. What does hope do for mankind? Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens while bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope believes when evidence is eliminated. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. 
Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope reaches for answers when no one is asking. Hope preserves toward victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. Hope brings a victory when no one is winning. Joseph had hope, and so do we. When we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we always have hope. When we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we truly do have God with us, Emmanuel. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. That means that we are connected to Jesus. We live the Christian life with Jesus. How can we go through life with the, diff- the different hurts, habits, and hang-ups? With the different anxieties of the day, which Steve said he's going to preach about next week. How can we go through the darkness of this world? We can't, except that we go through it with Jesus. We go through this life with Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus. I don't understand how people could do it without him. Joseph had hope, and so do we. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is God's indescribable gift for our hope, the hope of the world. And the Bible says that Jesus will save us from our sins. What brings salvation? Or should I say, who brings salvation? What or who are you trusting in for salvation? Sometimes we think we don't even need a Savior, right? We are in a world that believes they don't need a Savior. That's why Christmas has become about all these other secular pagan things. That's why Christmas has become more about Santa Claus than Jesus. Why do we exchange the truth of Jesus for other myths and vain things? Why do we as Christians even do that? We need salvation because we sinned against a holy, righteous God. Psalm 51.4 says, against you, you only have I sinned. We need a Savior. We need salvation. We need a Savior because of God's holiness. And when we say things such as, everyone goes to heaven with or without Jesus, or we say there is no hell, this means that we are messing with the cross, yes. But we are also messing with the holiness of God. When we trivialize sin... And, we, and when we trivialize our need for a Savior, we are trivializing the holiness of God. And that is a dangerous thing to do. I thought about that when I was meeting with a Christian hospital chaplain a number of years back. And the hospital chaplain said something um, to imply or infer that he believed that everyone goes to heaven. And it's called universalism, actually. And, and we don't need a Savior. Others believe that Jesus' was Jesus's death on the cross was just an example for us. Well, if everyone can go to heaven, or if we can earn our way to heaven, Jesus' death on the cross was meaningless. It didn't mean anything. Jesus had to be born of a virgin and have to, had to live you know, a sinless life so that he could go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins and rise again so that we can have salvation. And when we trivialize that, we're not just trivializing the cross. We are trivializing the holiness of God. 
And we are changing all of Scripture. We are changing the whole Old Testament. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. John 14.6. The Bible teaches that sin separates us from God. That's Isaiah 59.2. Sin separates us from God. God is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. And one sin separates us from God. The Bible says that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. That's in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. God will not let the guilty go unpunished. Yet, the Bible teaches that God loves the people of the world, John 3, 16. And that's a dilemma. God, on one hand, says that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. On the other hand, says that he loves the people of the world. That's a dilemma. God can't tell a liar he wouldn't be God. Numbers 23, 19 says he can't lie. God doesn't change his mind. That's 1 Samuel 15, 29. So God had a solution. And that solution is Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus. The guilty must be punished. So Jesus came, lived amongst us for 33 years, died in the cross for our sins and rose again. He took your punishment, my punishment, the world's punishment on himself. He took our hell on himself. That was God's plan from the beginning. The penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We need a Savior. Jesus became our Savior. You do not want to. We do not want to trivialize the holiness of God. Don't trivialize sin. When we sin, we ultimately sin against God. Don't trivialize that. God is holy and righteous and perfectly pure. And don't trivialize the gospel. But God loves us, so he sent Jesus, and Jesus saves. It's, in his even, it's, it's, it's even in his name. Yeshua, God saves, or the Lord saves. The Bible says right here that Jesus will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, that's the prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Do you ever feel alone? It's a difficult feeling being alone, isn't it? My dad's... Dad died when he was 31 or something years old. His dad was 55. His mom died when I think she was 66. He was something like 42. And I remember he told my mom, now I feel all alone. And many of you might have been there. I was in sixth grade and I played football and my parents dropped me off at the game and they left because I had to be there early and I thought I had forgot something I actually didn't and so I tried to run after them but they were already gone and there was an intense feeling of loneliness at that point you know a definite fear and eventually things were okay and obviously I'm here so everything's okay but you feel all alone and that's a scary feeling isn't it I have an older brother, 21 months older than me, or 19 months, or two years, something like that. And, and I must have seen my mom drop him off at preschool, and all the other kids would cry when their parents dropped them off and left. And I remember I always thought, I don't know how I remember this, but I do. I always thought I would never do that. Sure enough, I was like four years old or something. My mom dropped me off at preschool, and, and supposedly I cried as well. Fast forward some 15 years after that, I was 19 years old, uh, my parents dropped me off at college uh, eight hours away from home. I went to a college eight hours away at first, and I think we all cried at that time. It was a different type of feeling being away from home, and different from my parents dropping off their son that far away. 
Fast forward another 11 years. I was 30 years old. I was working as lead pastor of a church with a child care preschool. And my office was right down the main hallway. And so all the parents had to pass my office to drop their kids off for child care and preschool. And there were a number of times I listened to kids scream and cry their first few days in the preschool or in the child care as their parents dropped them off at 18 months old or four years old. And I think it's that sense of loneliness they experience, that sense of fear. Of course, for a child, for a baby, they can have that sense of fear when their mom's in the other room, can't they? And sometimes it's the same thing for us. We don't realize, but we are never alone. As Christians, God is always with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16, I go but I send you the comforter. I send you the Holy Spirit. Jesus even said, it's better for you that I go so I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come to you. We're never alone. A.W. Tozer, I like this quote from A.W. Tozer. He shares, most of the world's great souls have been lonely. Most of the world's great souls have been lonely. We are not alone. God is with us. Another guy, Neil Strait, shares, Loneliness is spending your days alone with your thoughts, your discouragements, and having no one to share them with. Wow. You know, we can always talk to God. He's there with us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and through his word and through the church. In Christ, we can always go to him and we are never alone. Think of how amazing it is that God is with us as Christians. The term is Emmanuel, and that term for God becoming a man is the incarnation. The incarnation, the term for God becoming a man. Emmanuel, the term for God being with us. I like this quote from Winston Churchill. I am very fascinated by Winston Churchill. Listen to this. He said, Winston Churchill described Russia as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And somebody said, that's appropriate to describe the incarnation also. Let me say it again. Winston Churchill described Russia as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And that is an appropriate term to describe the incarnation. It's amazing. God took on flesh, became one of us to save us from our sins so that the holiness of God is not violated. God remains holy. God remains just. God remains pure. God remains perfect. Listen, if God just glossed over our sins, he would no longer be just. And it would fracture also the holiness of God. And that is impossible to do. So God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. I have this poem here, Made Flesh. After the bright beam of hot annunciation fused heaven with earth, his searing, sharply focused light went out for a while, eclipsed in amniotic gloom. His cool immensity of splendor, his is Jesus, his universal grace, small folded in a warm, dim female space. The word, capital W, the word stern, sentenced to be nine months dumb. Infinity walled in a womb until the next enormity, the mighty, After submission to a woman's pains, helpless in a barn bare floor, first tasting bitter earth, but now I in him surrender to the crush and cry of birth. Because eternity was closeted in time, he is my open door to forever. 
From his imprisonment, my freedoms grow. Find wings. Part of his body, I transcend this flesh. From his sweet silence, my mouth sings. Out of his dark, I glow. My life as his slips, uh, my life as his slips through death's mesh time's bar. Joins hands with heaven, speaks with stars. Emmanuel. You and I, we are not alone. God came in the flesh to be with us, to eventually die for us, to rise again, to send the Holy Spirit to be with us for all time. And we'll never be really alone because when we die, it's really only our body that dies. Our soul goes immediately to be with Jesus in heaven. And eventually, we will be reunited with a perfect body. Chuck Swindoll shares this. Christmas comes each year to draw people in from the cold. Like tiny frightened sparrows shivering in the winter cold, many live their lives on the barren branches of heartbreak, disappointment, and loneliness, lost in thoughts of shame, self-pity, guilt, or failure. One blustery day follows another, and the only company they keep is the fellow strugglers who land on the same branches, confused and unprotected. We try so hard to attract them to the warmth. Week after week, church bells ring, choirs sing, preachers preach, lighted churches send out their beacon. But nothing seems to bring in those who need warmth the most. Then, as the year draws to a close, Christmas offers its wonderful message, Emmanuel, God with us. He who resided in heaven, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, willingly descended into our world. He breathed our air, felt our pain, knew our sorrows, and died for our sins. He didn't come to frighten us, but to show us the way to warmth and to safety so that we can live eternally with him, with God in paradise always. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and hopefully we come to you with an attitude and a spirit of worship. For you came to be with us, to die for us, to rise again. Lord God, I pray that you would encourage the brokenhearted right now. Even though technically we as Christians are never alone, because technically we always have you with us, that doesn't mean that sometimes we don't feel alone. And I pray that when those times of loneliness come upon us, we are not discouraged because we still live in a fallen world. We still deal with, hurt, deal with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We still deal with temporary losses of family and friends. We still deal with calamity. We still deal with financial struggles. So when we have those feelings of loneliness, I pray that you will remind us, Lord God, through the Holy Spirit, remind us of the hope that we have in you. Remind us. Encourage us through the Holy Spirit within us. Encourage us through the church family. Encourage us uh, through your word. And build us up. And Lord God, this is a wonderful message. The message of the gospel. The good news that you came to live amongst us and die for us. And rise again. May we share that gospel message with others. May we live for you. May we live with you. And Lord God, if anybody is listening right now or present here or watching later on who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of repentance. May today be the day of confessing 
They are a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you as the one and only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. You are holy, set apart, perfect, righteous, pure. And yet, we know that you desire a relationship with us. You desire a relationship with us. For 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, the Lord is desiring, um, the Lord is waiting to come again, desiring that none perish, but all come to repentance, all come to eternal life. Lord God, may we be trusting in you for our salvation in you. And may we live for you today, tomorrow, and always. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand for the closing song as the worship team comes up. As always, let me share, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. Even if you're a non-believer, I'm always interested in answering your questions as best as I can and go to the Lord on your behalf.